Hello, church family. As always, it's such an honor to be able to serve you tonight. But can I just say how much you are missed? It's just not the same without you, literally. It's not the same without you. And I don't know where you are watching from, but I hope you sense God's presence close and that um, this, tonight's message would encourage you um, and bless you in some way. So we are kicking off a new four-week series called Things Jesus Never Said. And over these next few weeks, our aim is to debunk some of those things that Jesus never said by looking at the other side of the coin to what Jesus actually had to say. And so, but just for fun, why don't we just have a look at some of these things that Jesus never said. So the first one is Jesus never said, whoever does the will of my father will get the best parking spot or the man woman of their dreams or their dream job. No, he never said that. <laughs> Jesus never said, love one another. That is until they make you mad and then they're done. No, Jesus never said that. Jesus never said, follow me and I will make you happy. Yeah, that would be nice, but no, Jesus never said that. And Jesus never said, oi, try harder. <laughs> Just suck it up and try harder. No. Jesus never said that. But let's go a little deeper. Jesus never said, you've sinned way too much for me to forgive you. We may have felt that at times. We may have thought that, but Jesus never said that. Now let's go deeper still in this. Jesus also didn't say, you don't need to forgive them. Ouch. <laughs> Tonight, that is the other side of the coin that we are looking at. We're going to be looking at what Jesus actually had to say about forgiveness. And I don't know about you, um, but it seems like in our current climate, um, to forgive someone um, almost seems wrong to forgive someone who's hurt us. It's like it's abhorrent to us. And maybe it's because unforgiveness surrounds us. It's in the air that we breathe. I mean, all we have to do is turn on the news and we will hear things or hear people say, hey, they don't deserve my forgiveness for what they've done. I mean, it's in the revenge movies that we watch on Netflix to the breakup songs that we hear on Spotify. I mean, take Taylor Swift, for instance, who sang, as far as I'm concerned, you're just another picture to burn. Or Justin Bieber, who sang, my mama don't like you and she likes everyone. Or um, Lizzo who sang, got a new man on the Minnesota Vikings, truth hurts, needed someone more exciting. Yeah. Or my favorite, Adam Sandler, who sang on The Wedding Singer. You love her, but she loves him. And he loves somebody else, you just can't win. One thing for sure, love stinks. These songs seem to resonate and hit us emotionally because of the power that comes from dismissing someone who's hurt us. I mean, isn't that what cancel culture is all about? And we've talked about this so much on the morning show. The public shaming of someone on social media for mistakes made or for saying things that we don't agree with. So we cut you off. We cancel you. You know, um, I read that in the capital of Croatia, they have this museum called the Museum of Broken Relationships. And it's a collection of memorabilia that people have kept to remind them of their bitterness, from the ax thrown to destroy all the furniture to a garden no muse to hurl at an ex-lover. You see, when we've been deeply hurt, 
especially in close relationships, it can be so easy for us to dial up those emotions again. And when we harbor bitterness, it can define us as we grip and hold on to unforgiveness. The problem is, though, is that the Bible says that unforgiveness is going the opposite way of the gospel. And you and I, as Christ followers, we can't grab the gospel of grace and hold on to unforgiveness at the same time. You see, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, Jesus will say, and what we now know as the Lord's Prayer, and he says that we are to pray, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he goes on to say that if you forgive others their trespasses, your father will forgive you. And if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. See, Jesus links those two. God's forgiveness of you and your forgiveness of other people. Jesus says those two things are inextricably linked. And the reality is that there are two ways you and I can live. One way is to stay locked up behind a door of regret and resentment and anger and bitterness and second guessing and hurt. And the other side of that door, there's a life of freedom where you can experience joy and peace regardless of the pain or the uncertainty that surrounds you. And forgiveness, forgiveness is a key that unlocks that door. And my heart tenders because I know that some of you are probably thinking, man, don't even go there. You don't understand. You don't know my story. You don't know what's happened to me. And I don't. I don't know about the heartbreak or pain you've experienced. But what I do know is that I've been in ministry long enough, especially women's ministry, to hear stories of people's hurts and pains like the way they've been lied to or betrayal, abandonment, infidelity, abuse, all manner of addictions and their consequences, spiritual abuse, feeling unloved and uncared for or rejected. I mean, I could go on and on. These are just some of the stories of the broken world that we live in, man. I don't even scratch the surface. Or maybe for some of you listening, the wounds are so fresh that you dare not mess with the bandages that you've placed or wound around your heart. And for some of you, the wounds go so deep that you think there's no chance for hope or for healing. But listen, church family, the teachings of Jesus on the subject of forgiveness is never just, they're never abstract. It's never just an idea or a theology. It's embodied, it's real, it's life experience, it's messy. And I may not know your story, but I do know the story of Jesus and who he is and what he's like. I may not know your story, um, but I also know the story of Jesus, and I believe that's a story that changes everything. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 18, and let's look and see what Jesus is inviting you and I into. But first, let me pray for us. Father, um, I'm so grateful that your word is powerful and effective, even through a screen. And so, God, I just pray for those listening, God, that um, you would crack them wide open and pour out your spirit. And, uh, God, I just pray that you would minister a healing word to those that are hurting right now. 
And God is always have your way, have your way, have your way. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So the context in Matthew 18 is that just moments before, Jesus has just said to his followers that his dis- and to his disciples that if your brother sins against you, this is how you should handle it that you should quietly reconcile and fix things. And Jesus then gives the process of what to do in a situation where forgiveness is needed. And Peter, one of his disciples, and I love Peter, he comes up to Jesus. And it's almost as if Peter is worried that his forgiveness will be abused. So he offers Jesus a suggestion. And it says in verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, I don't know if Peter pulls Jesus aside and whispers this question in his ear or that he's asking it in front of everyone. But think about this for a minute. Peter is living with the other disciples and these disciples are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And Peter has his brother Andrew with him. So was Peter talking about his brother or one of the other disciples? Either way, don't we get Peter's question? Don't we get it personally? Because isn't that the question we wonder about all the time? How do I forgive people who hurt me, who are close to me? Now, Peter thinks he's being really clever, like he's the man. And he doesn't just say what the rabbis would say in this time. Oh, you need to forgive three times. He's not like you and I when we say give someone a second chance or give them what or let's forgive them one more time. No, Peter puffs himself up and he's like, watch this, guys. Um, How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times. Not only does he double the amount required, but he throws one in for good measure. Like, how do you like me now? And in the next verse, Jesus says, I do not. Next slide. And Jesus says. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In essence, Jesus is saying, you don't count, bro. Stop counting, Pete. It's not about that. And to illustrate the point, Jesus tells Peter a story, a story that has three scenes. And the first first scene is a king's throne room. And Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. When Jesus said that amount, that would have shocked everyone listening because that amount, 10,000 talents, was the largest amount the Greek language even had a word for. And a talent was the largest denomination of money that existed at the time. And Jesus puts those two together and exhaust the language to show us just how much this guy owed. And just to give you some context, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that the taxes collected in the day from Judea all the way to Samaria, the whole surrounding area, all the taxes collected equaled 600 talents. 10,000 talents was more money that was even in circulation in the region at that time. And it's somewhere around like 100 million days wages. That would be like Jesus saying nowadays that the guy owed the king a hundred gazillion dollars. You're like, what? That doesn't even make sense. I mean, everybody listening would be thinking how ludicrous that would be. I mean, how does a guy like, how does a guy rack up a debt like that? And how did the king even allow it to happen? Either the king's hands are totally off the wheel or he has a level of patience that we can't even wrap 
our heads around. And then the next verse, it says, and since he could not pay, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the king of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. You see, when the king says, I'm going to sell you and your family, this guy's knees hit the ground and he starts to plead with the king saying, I will pay you back everything he owes, which is ludicrous, it's crazy. Commentators say it would have taken this guy 270,000 years to pay that debt back. I mean, it's not gonna happen. And the king knows this. Notice how Jesus makes the point by saying that the king has pity on him, or some of your translations would say had compassion on him or mercy on him. And he says, incredibly, you are free to go. Not you are free to go and work the debt off, no. The king completely cancels and absorbs the debt. This servant is 100% free. And if you're sitting there and you're hearing this, your mind is completely blown. You can't even comprehend the reservoir of compassion and mercy that king must have to wipe away and forgive a debt like that. Imagine the gratitude and the freedom this servant must have felt. But then scene two takes place and it takes place on the streets. And back then, if there was a rough time happening agriculturally and people's crops were dying and you couldn't pay the taxes, the king would sometimes, out of relief, wouldn't make the people pay back taxes. And so it was understood that if the king was benevolent, so were you. You don't try and pull in someone else's debt either. We all have this understanding that we're living under a banner of benevolence in this moment of hardship. And it says in the next verse, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now in this scene, the guy who's re received an extraordinary amount of forgiveness goes out and he finds a fellow servant, someone like him, who owes him some money, 100 denarii, which works out to be like 100 days wages. So it's not nothing. It would be like someone owing you $5,000. It's not nothing. But compared to what has just happened earlier, it kind of is. But this guy demands his money back and his fellow servant also hits his knees and uses the exact same word that the other guy used. Please be patient with me, I will pay you back. But this servant can actually pull that off. And then it says that this guy chokes him. And back then in Roman society, you could do that. You could grab someone by the throat and take them to the authorities, but it was a great indignity to do to someone. It was a shameful thing. And this guy imprisons the fellow servant and probably his whole family too. Now, scene three takes us back into the throne room with the king. And in the next verse, it says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their king all that had taken place. 
Then the king summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the king delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus closes with this really powerful statement to Peter and to anyone else listening. And he says this, So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow, what a story. And I think a better name for this story, for this series, is things I wish Jesus never said. Um, in essence, Jesus is saying to us that if you and I don't show grace, we don't know grace. Jesus expects Peter to be characterized by forgiveness. I love what Colossians 3 has to say, and it says this. Since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. God says that because we are the chosen people that he loves, we should put on mercy and humility and gentleness and patience because all of that leads to forgiveness. You see, forgiven people forgive people. We hear that and we think, yep, that's great. Be a forgiving person. But when we think about that, sometimes we can let ourselves off the hook by saying, but you don't understand my situation. Someone else should forgive, but not me. You just don't understand what's happened to me. And I think we think and feel that way because we misunderstand what forgiveness is all about. And I know I did for years. You see, forgiveness is not about ignoring. It's not forgetting. It's not diminishing or suppressing. It's not um, condoning. It's not excusing or justifying. It's not even understanding the offender or trusting the offender or that reconciling with the offender can or should or will happen. Sometimes some relationships are just too toxic or unsafe for us to re-engage in. And forgiveness doesn't mean that the pain immediately vanishes either. Forgiveness isn't just about giving in. You see, forgiveness is a process. And forgiveness begins when we give up on getting even. And forgiveness is simply this. It is to release. The Greek word is aphiomi. And it means to dismiss, to let go, to cancel, to release. But you may ask, what if that person doesn't even want forgiveness or even acknowledge what's going on? And listen, church family, forgiveness is a one-way street. Reconciliation is a two-way street because it takes two people to reconcile. But forgiveness is one way. You only need one person, you. You see, in order to forgive, we need to understand that Forgiveness is rooted in the love of Christ. And I think that ultimately, forgiveness is not so much a response to the offender, and it's not so much a response to the offensive situation as it is a response to the gospel. And the only way that we can truly be in a place where we can even contemplate or think about forgiving someone is to have received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. 
We have to stand under his grace and his mercy and receive his love. And that's where the power of forgiveness is rooted. Forgiving people find strength in Jesus. And it's only when we experience his grace and his mercy that we're able to extend that to others. Forgiving people forgive people. Forgiveness is rooted in the gospel. And forgiveness is a declaration of the gospel. Now think about this. When we receive God's forgiveness in our own lives, we experience his character and his glory. And when we extend forgiveness to others, we are displaying his character and his glory to the world. To everybody around us, we are showing who God is and what he's like. And I love this quote that says, and I don't even know who said it, but it says, we are more like God in the act of forgiveness than in any other moment. To forgive is to be like God. And I have to remember that the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient, not just for my sin, but for the hurt that the sin of others has caused me. And as much as I really, really, really don't want to admit it, if I believe that the cross is sufficient for my sin, then I also have to believe that the cross is sufficient for the sin that has been committed against me. And that's what's really hard to grasp about the gospel. And in Romans 12, we read, never take revenge, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. What this is saying is that I can either try to deal with the situation myself, or I can let my heavenly father deal with it. And what I have to remember is that someone else's repentance is not the prerequisite for my forgiveness. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ is a prerequisite for my forgiveness. And when I forgive, I'm declaring the gospel. And when we look at the cross and we see what Jesus did for us, the cross requires us and inspires us to take a step towards forgiving others. Forgiving people forgive people. Forgiveness is rooted in the love of Christ. Forgiveness is a declaration of the gospel. And, and I've so experienced this church, forgiveness is the key to freedom. And here's the thing. If you and I don't realize that we are like the wicked servant in the story that racked up an incredible amount of debt that we could never, ever pay, and that we too have been lavishly forgiven and had our debt cleared, we will never be free to forgive others. Instead, we will stand in judgment of them. And instead, we will be grudge holders. And over time, those grudges will become like a cancer that spreads through our body and infects everything about us. And over time, you're not holding the grudge, the grudge is holding you. And you allow that what somebody else did to define who you are. Forgiveness brings freedom from that. We don't have to be held down or defined by those things that have happened to us. You know, for a long time, I used to think that forgiveness was a passive thing, um, a passive response to something like a resignation, a surrender, a laying down. But as I read through the scriptures more and more, I learn about what Jesus did for us. And I see that forgiveness is anything but passive. It's aggressive. It's not resignation. It's resolution. And when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't doing that out of weakness. He was doing it out of a supernatural strength. And forgiveness comes from a place of strength. It comes from a place of resolution. 
It is a subversive force that changes the reality of our lives because it brings freedom. And it invites us into a new way of living. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5 will say. And I want to invite the music team to come out now. You see, forgiving people forgive people, but forgiving people are free people. And I get that for some of you listening tonight that your trust has been so broken that all of this is really, really hard to hear. I get that. And you may have questions that plague you and memories that keep you up at night that I could never speak to. And I so get that I really do get that personally. You see, I've had to come to terms with and walk through the process of forgiving the person that abused me. But the hardest thing about that, the hardest thing was not so much to reconcile what so much the abuse done to me, but to those in my family, especially when I see the residues of that abuse in the people that I love most. But here's what has helped me. The thing that changed my life was taking a step towards and putting my trust and faith in Jesus. Jesus, who forgave those who crucified him. Jesus, who uttered the words, Father, forgive them. And it took every ounce of his strength as his body was wrapped with unthinkable pain on that cross. And I want to encourage you, for anyone going through the same thing, to put your trust and faith in Jesus. Because if anyone understands what it's like to be owed a debt, it's him. <laughs> and every time we sin and mess up, we don't just owe a debt to the person we've offended. A person made in the image of God, we owe a debt to God himself. And Jesus died on the cross for betrayers and hypocrites and liars and deniers and abusers. And he died on the cross for you. And he died on the cross for me. But I realize, I know that we can't unpack and process the depths of forgiveness and how that process is different for every person in 30 minutes. And I don't even want to try to do so because that wouldn't be fair to you and it wouldn't be fair to your story. But I would ask you to humbly ask you to consider taking a step in the direction of finding freedom. You see, the truth about forgiveness from scripture is unchanging. And the process by which we walk through that is long, <laughs> it's long and it varies from person to person. So for some of you, forgiveness might mean picking up the phone, writing an email, sending a letter to someone who has asked for forgiveness and you've never granted it. But I do want to say that in some situations, actually verbally granting forgiveness to a person may not be the wisest thing to do because of an unhealthy relationship dynamic that you should not re-engage in or there's some unsolicited forgiveness from a friend and to bring it up would just be opening up a wound that they're not even aware exists in your heart. So maybe the next step for you is to just get alone with Jesus and pray. And I pray this all the time, Lord, make me willing to be made willing to even consider forgiveness. Some of you might need to open up your journals and write that down and write their name down and write down what they did and how it has affected you. And some of you may be in a place where you need to release God 
from the responsibility that you feel he has for your pain that's been caused to you. The Bible says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but that Jesus comes to give life and life more abundantly. Let's not get those job descriptions um, confused. You see, some of you have experienced so much pain that you really need someone to walk through things with you. So I want to encourage you that we have an incredible, incredible pastoral care team that is available to meet with you during the week, to pray with you, to listen to you, to encourage you, to support you. And we have an amazing prayer team that have already been praying for you. And if you're watching this on our online church platform, you can press the prayer tab like right now and someone will pray for you on the spot like right now. And in closing, church family, I'm so thankful that Jesus never said, you don't need to forgive them because where would we be? <laughs> Jesus may have told the story about a servant and a king, but he is the true suffering servant who died to pay a debt that he didn't owe. Jesus is the true servant king who is compassionate and he shows mercy and grace as he releases and cancels debt at his own expense. And he's correcting and debunking our misconceptions about who he is and what he's like. And that will happen during this series. And when we, like Peter, realize just how forgiven we are, how liberated are, how liberated we are, how free we are, how clean we are, it changes everything. That story in Matthew 18 isn't just about a king and a servant, it's about you and it's about me. But most of all, most of all, it's about a lot, it's about the lavish, extraordinary, otherworldly, scandalous love of our compassionate God towards his people. My prayer is that may it woo us, may it reshape us, may it change us afresh. Amen. Amen.